0: Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 158, and we are recording on Tuesday, July 25th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Kendra. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm doing all
1: right. Roasting down here in the humidity that is South Carolina. How are you doing?
0: Well... It's been I mean it's it's been it was pretty warm today but I am freezing my tookas off in this little office in our apartment which is like we get, we have uh, our our air conditioning is sporadic although it did get a lot better after they replaced our air conditioner last August um but I'm in the little office where I podcast and it is to quote Dr. Evil from Austin Powers, it's freaking freezing in here, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I've got like a sweatshirt and slippers on. And I am just like, this This is just, this is ridiculous. I mean, wonders of modern technology and indoor living and stuff, but th- it's a little odd.
1: <laughs> that I grew up with us having a cold house. And because a lot of the people in my house ran hot. And then when I got older, I started running cold. But I still like a nice, you know, sweatshirt on or something like that. So,
0: <laughs> it is cozy. And I, I will say, you know, I I prefer being cold over hot because you can always add more layers and it, there is some there's something very snug about, you know, sweatshirt and stuff like that, but um yeah, the the discrepancy between me walking out of the apartment this morning to go to work and just being hit in the face full blast with humidity and like almost ninety degree temperatures at nine thirty in the morning, I'm just like ugh. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's odd, and my my internal temperature regulation is very confused. But how are the corgis doing with all of their floof um, in the
1: heat? Oh, my goodness. So this is the time between their birthdays that I call the dog days of summer. And so um. <laughs> they are inside, and they just look like little loafs, uh, hanging out on the wood flooring. Um, I recently bought some cushions for them to wallow on from Target. They were having a sale. And so I got the, these, like, gorgeous little cushions, but they're like, no, we do not want these. We want the floor. It is hot. And so they just lay there and look miserable and they're like, just change the weather,
0: change the weather, mom. (laughs) Oh my gosh. When, when our air conditioner went out, which was a day before we were supposed to go on vacation in the beginning of August. Um, Last year, it was awful. Um, And our maintenance people in our apartment for our apartment complex, they were like, well, we can't get another air conditioner in until next week. Do you need one since you're not going to be here? We're like, we have cats. Are you (laughs) kidding me? Yes. Yes, we need an air. And they they just kind of looked at us. We're like, Oh come on. Like we cannot leave these cats. It's 9 over 90 degrees outside. We can't leave them in here. And um so we told our pet sitter. We were just like just a heads up, you know, and she was just like, "Yeah, they're hot. They're all they're both like just laying on the floor next to each other, which they don't usually do." And so I'm like, "Oh." Uh <sighs> so yeah. I I appreciate warmer weather. The 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 older I get, the more I appreciate it. Um, but it's like, I can appreciate it from afar. (laughs) I don't, I don't like to be out in it. I just like knowing that it is out there if I do want to go out and get warm.
1: (sighs) The idea is nice. The idea is nice. Exactly. Well, well, we have a lot of news this, you know, this week, which sometimes it's going to be a slow time, but I feel like we're ramping up for award season here shortly. So there's all sorts of things going on.
0: Yeah, um before we get into that, um let's go ahead and take a
2: quick pause for
0: our first sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish golden age during a time of high stakes, political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Lucia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive. Even the help of Guillen Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So, The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now, and like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at lebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So, Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Gillian Linden, and thanks again to W.W. Norton & Company, Incorporated, for sponsoring this episode. All right, so if you are a new
0: listener, welcome. We are delighted to have you. And if you are a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so excited that you continue to listen to us every episode. And like we said at the top of the show, we talk about mystery and suspense and true crime and just about anything that falls under that ginormous umbrella. So whether you are looking for discussions of subgenres in the mystery and suspense world, author read-alikes, movie adaptations, award news. If it's mysterious and suspenseful, it is probably fair game for us to talk about. So this is the part of the show where we always put out a call to our lovely listeners to let us know if you have any show suggestions for upcoming episodes. We really do use these to plan out future episodes. They are a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. And yeah, it's just been a really great setup. It's, we've gotten so many fantastic suggestions from the listeners. So we really do read them and appreciate them. So if you have any ideas or show suggestions, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We're going to have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. So don't worry about getting it down right now. We just like to get those creative juices flowing while you listen. And even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, there is nothing that we love more than hearing from our listeners. It makes us so happy to hear from people when they let us know how much they enjoy listening to the show. So thank you for those of you who have sent us messages before. And if you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. All right. And then um, real quickly, um, we have, as always, wanted to remind you that Book Riot has a new podcast out, just adding to the list. Um, so if you are interested in just a huge variety of different awesome bookish things, whether it's You know, author interviews or just other aspects of this wide bookish world, you will want to take a listen to First Edition, um, where Book Riot co founder Jeff O'Neill explores all of these different aspects and talks to authors such as S.A. Cosby, Khaled Hosseini, Sarah Bakewell. And it's just a really, really interesting podcast. And Kendra, you, you've said before, you've uh, you've done an episode of First Edition, haven't you?
1: Yes, I was on to talk about audiobooks and particularly trying to um, you know talk about audiobooks and reframing it to center disabled people who use audiobooks, which is why audiobooks were invented in the first place and just kind of shift the way that folks think about audiobooks, which now are enjoyed by everyone. So it was really great to talk to Jeff about that. I've been a long time listener of the Book Riot main podcast that he and Rebecca host. So yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: All right. So we will have a link to that in the show notes. Um, But to subscribe, uh, just search first edition in your podcast player of choice and it should pop right up. All right. So um, with that, why don't you take us away with some with some of this award news? Yes. So
1: the Shirley Jackson Awards were announced. And uh, for those who don't know, the Shirley Jackson Awards are were established for Outstanding Achievement in the Literature of psycho- Psychological Suspense, Horror, and the Dark Fantastic. And of course, all of this will be linked in the show notes. Um, but Jeff Vandermeer, the Wonder that is Jeff Vandermeer and his wife, arguably even more fabulous as a editor of fantasy. um, They were there to host the awards ceremony. Um, I was able to attend a reading with Charlie Jane Anders that they were kind of hosting for this camp that they did in Spartanburg before the pandemic. And so they are really fabulous together. So they were perfect choices. And then the winners were announced and. The novel, which arguably is the most popular category, um, was actually a tie this year, which was really cool. Um, the Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias from Holland Books and Where I End by Sophie White from Tramp Press tied and won the novel category.
0: Yeah, and what's uh, also noteworthy about this, um, and the reason why I, this came to my attention in the first place, is that this uh, award was handed out uh, shortly after *The Devil Takes You Home* won the best novel for the Br- the Bram Stoker Awards for horror. Um, and so, I follow Gabino Iglesias on Twitter or x or whatever they're calling it now I don't even know anyway I follow him on uh, I follow him on Twitter and he's he's a really cool author to follow on Twitter highly recommend you do so if you are still on if you're still on the website um but i just thought that was really really cool the novel has been nominated for it was nominated for best novel for the edgars it's just it's been nominated for so many things this year um so to win uh the bram stoker award and then the shirley jackson award is pretty darn cool
1: yeah it's it's been really great to see these different books and um win and like have more of a spotlight put on them uh the other categories are novella novelette uh short fiction single author collection and edited anthology so um you can find all of the award winners again linked in the show notes and i think you have more news that we have on our list here
0: Yes, so this is an unusual piece of news. So if you've been following the news at all for the last couple of weeks, you may have seen um, items about the uh, Long Island serial killer possibly being caught or the Gilgo Beach serial killer. And this was a, um, what they were talking about, there was a series of murders um, that happened not very long ago, like a decade ago, like 2010, 2011 that um, that happened on long island there were uh several women that they believed were killed and that this was the work of a single person um but a, there there were a lot of things happening with this case um prime and one of the big things was that these women were um all they were all sex workers and so the assumption was um initially and i think for a while that they, you know, they were killed by a client, but not necessarily the same person. And so there was a lot of, it took a lot of effort to kind of start putting some stuff together and think this might be the work of one person. But the reason when when this came to my attention, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I have read the book about this and I 100% have. If any of you have read the book, the true crime book, The Lost Girls: An Unsolved American Mystery by Robert Kolker. He writes about these women, their murders, and that they've gone—the fact that they've, you know, that they had gone unsolved—and it's a—it was a really tremendous book. I listened to it on audio; it's fantastic, and he did a really great job of focusing the story on the women, on their families, on the people impacted by their murders. And, you know, kind of looking at the investigation, but how this was impacted by the fact that these women were sex workers. And so there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of attention or a whole lot of interest in trying to, you know, figure out what happened to them. And the book stuck with me. Just a tremendous amount, and I listened to it maybe eight years ago at this point. And periodically, I would still think about that book and be like, "Oh my gosh, this happened like a decade ago, and they never caught the guy." So a couple weeks ago, my husband sent me this sent me a link saying, "Hey, this is true crime. This is up your alley." And I was looking and went, "Oh my god, I read this like, you know." And I'm like, "They they caught him, or I mean, he he, I believe he has." pled not guilty. I can't remember all of the developments that have happened. Um, the the person who they've taken in um, has not admitted to anything, um, but now there are possibilities that uh, he may be linked to the murders of other um, other women in the area. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that caught him. It's kind of like um, when they shortly after Michelle McNamara's book I'll Be gone in the dark was published and then they caught the uh the golden State serial killer um it's it's just it's surreal to like have read about it and it's like this is not fiction this is this is true crime this is nonfiction and and then have it and then kind of see it play out in real time is you know is, is astonishing and and obviously you know nothing can bring back you know these 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 women that were killed they can't be brought back their families can't be healed but i'm hoping that if they're able to come to some kind of a conclusion that there's that there's some kind of closure for them but yeah this was this was just bonkers and i was that i um that i had read the book um like you know kendra have you seem like has this crossed your radar? Like have you read the book? And like I'm interested to know what like people who are not me <laughs> what their reactions are. Well I
1: missed the book because I was in I think I want to say grad school maybe when the book came out. So I was only reading for school. So I feel like I definitely missed the vote on that one. But it's really interesting to see that happen. I feel like there's been a big conversation about true crime recently like I feel like that's a recurring theme for this year that you and I have talked about is like yeah rethinking the way that we consume as readers the way that we consume true crime and I feel like this is definitely in that vein as well
0: yeah it's um yeah it's it's very much um this is one this is one of those cases that I think that that kind of forces people to to you know to you know just to kind of consider those types of things um the other thing that i also remembered is that the story was made into a netflix series i don't oh i can't remember if it was called the lost girls or not um i believe it was a thick, it was a dramatized version of the of the story so it wasn't like a documentary but when i told my friends about it one of them was like oh my gosh i've seen the show so that the, the story has played out in a few different areas. So we'll have a link to, there's a New York Times article from a few days ago that kind of, gives an overview of like what the search was like for this man and you know events leading up to it is it possible they could have found him earlier um but there's there are so many articles being published right now um and it keeps popping up on all of my news feeds because the algorithms have figured me out pretty well (laughs) um but yeah it's i mean it's terrifying. It's it's chilling, but it's also I mean this is this is a you know a, a big deal. Um so yeah, it was definitely something that when I first saw it I'm like, well, we are going to be talking about this on the podcast. So um so yeah, lots lots of stuff to to read about and to consider with that. All right. Well, with that, we're going to let's go ahead and jump into our main discussion, main segment, and talk about literary crime fiction. And as I feel is often the case, Kendra, I th- you you were the one who posed this suggestion when we were coming up with ideas. What What made this topic kind of pop into your head?
1: Well, one of the things that I enjoy about our discussions is talking about the genre of Mystery thrillers, horror, suspense, and like what is genre? Those those big questions. And I often see critics um kind of be a little snobby about air quotes genre fiction, but there are so many literary novels that actually are in a sense crime fiction. They are, there's, you know, I, I feel like the boundaries of genre are are disappearing a lot in the literary world, which I love to see. I've seen everything from like Literary romance to like nonfiction novels, which kind of makes my brain implode. But in that Mm -hmm. vein, I I love to push the boundary. So I was like, well, why not do like literary crime fiction and see what happens?
0: Yeah, i i I always find it interesting to see how, yeah, how genres can blend together, how you can kind of like take them apart and put them back together again. And yeah, there there is always this, this tension, so to speak, between like, like you say, genre fiction, and I'm putting in kind of sarcastic air quotes, and literary fiction. Like there's a huge difference. And I will argue you know genre fiction like true genre fiction i think really plays to specific tropes and characters and you know just kind of expected elements that you uh that you that you expect to see basically and you know they may play with them a little bit um and there are different ways that you can subvert them but they still kind of stay within the boundaries and when you talk about literary crime fiction it's like the focus is not so much on those tropes it's kind of using using the crime or whatever as a jumping off point for other other topics other discussions or you know using using that as the story springboard but the focus is really on you know the character's relationships or the language or something unusual with the structure it just feels more it just feels more unbound um and some i think are more is more experimental than others um but yeah when you mentioned it i was going through in my head and now i've and i really like you know a lot of my favorite books i would say are probably you know more squarely in a genre mold than necessarily literary crime fiction But I was still going through my head. I was like, oh, yeah, I like that one and that one and that one. I'm like, oh, yeah, these would all I would consider to be literary crime fiction. Um, Yeah, even though, yeah, like I said, the literary part is much, much harder to define.
1: And I think as long, honestly, as people are enjoying the books, that's that's, for me the most important part that people – are being able to read these books and have fun with them. And I always find it interesting to try new things as well. So if you're literary and you enjoy these, then you can head over more towards crime fiction. Or if you're a crime fiction suspense, etc. person and you're enjoying these, maybe you could go over more to the literary books and see what happens. And I think exploring new genres new categories new types of books can be really exciting and finding these like genre benders or these these books that blend the genres are a great great way to like start that process
0: yeah and it's it's interesting too just for me as a librarian on the one hand when i talk about books with other people i'm always looking for different like connections and pathways to different genres or different topics that they um subjects that they may find interesting to make different recommendations but at the same time, there is a part of me that very, very much likes putting stuff in their categories. Even and there are sometimes when I order a book for the fiction collection and then I have to figure out what genre sticker to assign it because we only assign them one genre sticker. And I'm looking at this, going, I'm like, there's like three genres in here. How, <laughs> how am I supposed to pick this? And and in my, I'm like. No, this is really cool. It's innovative, but the 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 orderly part of my librarian mind is going, gosh darn it. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> this is library thing to say. <laughs> yes, it really it really is. Um yeah, it's not always a huge part of my brain that craves that kind of like neat order, but there there is a very there is a small but loud part of that 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 and so I'm going back and forth and I'm reading and I'm like, all right, well, which one is it leaning more towards? And so I'm like historical horror fantasy <laughs> what is going on here um but yeah so and i will and i will say you know you talk about like literary fiction readers maybe gearing uh finding more books uh more crime fiction or crime fiction readers finding more literary fiction i definitely consider myself to be more of a crime fiction reader that could that may find themselves branching out into literary fiction because usually literary fiction is not my cup of tea i need something a little bit not more structured but like a lot of literary fiction feels can feel you know slice of life um and i'm like no i need a little bit more in there but i yeah the books that i picked for for this one um have both blown me away um so yeah, I am very glad that you picked this this topic. Um, and yeah, and as usual, I'm the one kind of yammering on. So do you want to kick us off?
1: Yes. So I chose a book that was on a list that we talked about, I believe last time, or maybe it was the time before about some of the best crime novels of the year. And it was on Crime Reads. I can't remember if it was one of the top 10 or if it was on that extended list, but I picked up Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. And you might remember, uh, dear listener, that Eleanor Catton back in 2013 won the Man Booker Prize, as it was known then. And she was the youngest person at 28. And it was also the longest novel that had ever won the award. So now she's back 10 years later with a new novel. And it is so different from The Luminaries, her, her debut Burnham Wood is about this nonprofit in New Zealand. And so you have Mira and a bunch of other uh, white middle-class 20-somethings discussing philosophies around class, uh, colonialism, and capitalism, and all these different things. And it really is poking fun a little bit, a lot, a bit, at middle-class white people Still trying to be the heroes of um, of marginalized communities, and so what this nonprofit does is it, it. I'm sorry, the whole nonprofit like is a really funny idea. So I'm I'm really struggling to like give this summary with a straight face. So Burnham Wood, they are about like equal access to land and food and stuff, and so they sneak around on rich people's properties and plant little gardens. And they plant these little gardens as, like, a way to take back the land from these rich people who don't really need it. But, like, if they're not very good at it, it seems like. <laughs> so they're always, like, growing these, like, seedlings in their house. Anyway, it's fantastic Um, if you like conversation about that. But the crime, the crime itself is actually a huge spoiler. It happens, I think, like a third or, or a third of the way through the book or something and so someone really important who owns a lot of land that they may or may not be trying to grow things on dies uh and there is a cover up that is attempted i think the big part of this is not just a a a person who is killed by another person that's not just the crime in this book the crime is also like illegally going onto people's lands and starting gardens. And it really – right? That is the
0: crime. That's the big crime of this book. I thought you were going to say something like, you know, injustice or, you know, like equal access. no Stealing onto people's land and planting gardens. That sounds like a crime that some of my coworkers might – might find themselves doing. It,
1: it's really interesting because it really like looks at it's it's like a book of conversations of millennials um in the nonprofit sector. If you've worked in the nonprofit sector oh, <laughs> or have even been adjacent, you know how wild it can get. And so they're looking for funding um but they're trying to prove that they can actually do what their thing like their whole organization is trying to do and they kind of fail miserably. I feel like a lot of people really enjoy the intellectual like conversations going on in this book. Or you might be like me and just laugh your way through it because it's so ridiculous. Like I can't take them seriously. Maybe it's because I'm a working class, like Appalachian person, but like it's It's really funny to watch all of them do this in this context. Um, and there's some really, it's really clever in a lot of ways. I really appreciate what Eleanor Catton is doing, and it's definitely a completely different feel from the luminaries, but I think that shows her range. Um, and so if you are wondering where or not to pick up this book, I think it is really fascinating. The characters are all terrible in so many wonderful ways. I mean, it's, it's great. And also, it's- Those subversive gardeners. I know, right? Subversive gardeners. That's a, also a great title. Um, and a band name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my spouse was like, oh, Burnham Wood. That's like Shakespeare. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, did you not know? And I was like, no, I only took early Shakespeare, Samuel. And so, um, it also was a reference to Shakespeare. So, if you are familiar- With Shakespeare, you also enjoy this. I feel like there are so many layers to this book. Um, I really enjoyed reading it. I played Zelda while I was reading it and I ran around – like harvesting random things, like farming. It's called farming and gaming. Anyway, so I would recommend this book. I could talk about it for ages, but I will spare you. But please email us if you would like to talk about Burnham Wood. I'm desperate to have someone to talk to you about it with. So <laughs> definitely check out Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. I'm so sorry for taking up so much time talking about this wild <laughs>
0: book about subversive gardening. <laughs> that would be a show well, title if we did funny show titles. <laughs> yes subversive gardening and if you take that for a band name make sure to credit yes please and we'll take free Um, tickets as well thank you (laughs) (laughs) all right um let's go ahead and take a pause for our second sponsor
2: today's episode is brought to you by tour books So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then the Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you. In its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir, Lacan Gordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of, Maybe potentially a little too much wine. Those are, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Saffrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out the silver blood promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to tour books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Scribner. Weird Black Girls by Elwynn Cotman is a collection of seven stories in which characters pursue their obsessions on paths to glory and destruction, while all around them, their worlds twist and warp, oscillating between reality and impossibility. On display throughout is Cotman's ability to reveal truths about the human experience, about things like friendship, love, betrayal, bitterness, all through whimsy horror and fantasy. Elegiac in tone, imaginative, and humorous in their execution, the character-driven stories in Weird Black Girls challenge, incite, and entertain. The author's last book was named one of NPR's Best Books of the Year and was a finalist for the Philip K. Dick Award, with reviews appearing in the New York Times, Wired, BuzzFeed, and Locus, among other publications. Definitely make sure to check out Weird Black Girls by Elwin Kotman And thanks again to Scribner for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> All right, so my first
0: pick, unfortunately, is not, is not is not humorous at all. It is actually on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But I loved this book so much. Um, so my first pick is "Notes on an Execution" by Danya Kukafka, and this this book won best novel at the Edgar Awards this year. Um, and it was one that had been on my radar when it first came out, because of how it, you know, how it kind of deconstructed how we talk about crime and true crime, even though it's a fictional book. And I decided, I'm like, you know, this is the perfect book to read for this episode. And I was right. I read this book in a couple of long sittings. It's not, the book itself is not very long. But it just, like, ripped my heart out and gutted me with how amazing it is and oh my gosh and so I immediately hopped onto Twitter and tweeted at the author I was just like yeah your your book just stomped on my heart and I loved it um so if you are not familiar with the book or haven't heard us mention it uh, in previous episodes the story is technically or it's centered around Ansel Packer, who is a convicted serial killer who is scheduled to be executed in 12 hours. And he, he knows the crimes that he's committed. He's awaiting his execution. Um, And so he, and he obviously does not want to die. He is, he is upset and frustrated because he doesn't feel like he's been understood. And I'm so the the idea of like okay, serial killer on death row like that in and it's uh, in and of itself isn't unusual, but we don't get most of Ansel's story from him. We piece together his story from the perspectives of three women in his life or orbit, however you want to call it there's his mother who abandoned him and his baby brother when she was young in order to escape an abusive marriage. There's uh, Hazel, who is the twin sister of Ansel's ex-wife. And then there is Safi, who is a homicide detective, uh, who's trying to, who thinks that she, that he murdered um a trio of girls maybe 10 years ago but she can't prove it but the reason why she suspects that in part is because she and ansel spent time in the same foster house and so she knows him and has seen some of his you know seen what he was like growing up and seen some of his tendencies um and so now that she's she's a homicide detective she's she's like i you know I might be able to bring some justice. And so the story is told in alternating chapters between those three women from different from different years and in between their chapters it's interspersed with Ansel's perspective as he gets closer and closer to his execution date. So this book it's yeah, it's not you know, it's not a mystery we know he did it um there's a little bit of a mystery as to the why's but or the you know kind of the complexities of what drove him to kill them but it's not the the crux of the story it's really these women's lives and how they have been affected by his actions and that's the story that the book is trying to tell like how the death of these the the death of these three girls ansel's actions how it has this kind of rippling radius, and it's you know how his actions affect so many other people and ultimately hit like i said his His question, or his concern, is he wants to be understood. In his sections, he talks about how he has, it's not a manifest, what does he call it, his thesis, I think. And he just has these pages and pages of writing about, you know, how the world works and how the universe works. It's very philosophical. And he was like, this explains everything. And when you think about how we talk about and how we, you know, how we focus on Serial killers, you know, the focus is on the person who committed the the actions, usually male, um, and they kind of become this, this anti-hero that everyone is obsessed with. They want to know what drove this person, but they don't, you know, the same attention isn't given to the people who are affected by his crimes, whose lives have been changed by his, you know, by, yeah, by, by his actions, and... There's a real I can't I don't have the exact quote, but towards the end of the story, there's something about how these the they they're referred to as the girls who he killed, and um they're like they they're no longer you know individual people with their own you know what might have happened if he hadn't killed them what what might their lives have been like they are and their identities will forever be tied to him. They're his now. Like they they only exist in connection with him. And the story, the characters were so compelling. Like this was just a book even though it's not an action-packed story, I just could not put it down. I was just tearing through the pages reading about these women that were just so exquisitely written and you know so complex and it just by the end of the book even you know there's no big twists or anything it just you know you just it just breaks your heart about just how you know and then you start thinking about you know the 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 prison system and then you know by the end of it like you're thinking about about these women who are affected these women who are murdered and you're like. What, you know, what was the point of all of this? You know, what it, oh my gosh, there are just so many emotions and thoughts that come up with this book. And it's just so beautifully done. Like I, like I finished it and I was just like falling over myself, just going, oh my God, this book is amazing. Like I 100% see how this won best novel at the Eggers. Like this book it was just Incredible. And now I'm rambling. Um, so I'm going to take a breather. And I know we've talked about this book f- before, and I can't remember. Have you read this I one I have yet? not. But while
1: you were talking, I looked it up and found it on Hoopla on audio. So pay yes. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh my gosh, so good. The way the, pers- the different perspectives were Uh, just layered on top of each other to create this picture like it it was just masterful absolutely masterful i loved it this is even though it came out last year this is probably going to be one of the best books i read all year um and that is notes on an execution by danya kukovka
1: my next pick is also um i'm I'm definitely a serious uh, a book, and that is A Shelter by Jung Yoon. This is Jung Yoon's debut novel. Um, this book is very special to me in that it was the very first winner of the Read- Reading Woman Award for Fiction. Um, and the last year of Reading Woman, Jung Yoon's second book came out, and I was able to interview her for that. And so it was just a very, a very important, I don't know, a landmark book for me in my bookish media. I don't know, freelance career, whatever that you would call it. But um, (laughs) it is a literary um, thriller suspense book. And just as a heads up, uh, there is discussion of sexual assault of women in the book. It's pretty descriptive. So just as a heads up. Um, But it starts out with Kyung, who is a Korean American uh, guy, and he is really struggling to like keep his family in the middle class. He grew up with affluent parents and they just live a few miles away in this very affluent part um, of their town. Uh, Kyung uh, just can't really afford his house anymore. So he's um, you know, the realtor is going through their house, like deciding how they're going to set it up to show the house to get it sold. And Kyung turns around and he sees his mother naked standing in the backyard. And, you go from there, you figure out, you know, fairly early on that his parents have been um, held in the house. And I won't give any more details, but it can, it's pretty grim. And it's really how Kyung is trying to balance having, um, you know, having parents who are trying to make the best. Life for him, but he is like pushing, he feels trapped by his parents' expectations, but his life isn't going well either. So you have all these different parts that are are balancing, and Kyung really is just scrabbling to make his life work. It's a very character focused story, um, but it's so intimate and. So just well done. It's just a well-crafted book. And I feel like it's a quiet book, even with everything going on. But I feel like that just shows Jung-Yun's skill. And I just admire her work um,
0: so much. Have you read this book? No, but while you were talking about it, <laughs> I, looked at, well, I looked it up because I was trying to – a lot of times if I'm like, that book sounds familiar, but I can't recall it, I'd look up the cover and go, oh, that one, yes. Um so I do recognize the cover but it looks like yeah it, was, it looks like it was published like what maybe 2016 yeah. does that sound about right yeah. Okay yeah so that that probably would I pro- I probably missed it when it first came out but the cover looks familiar so I'm like um yeah the and the the synopsis sounds familiar um and yeah I think the part where you're like where you said his mother is outside naked I'm like ah yeah that book Yes it has those images that stay
1: in your mind for sure,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. it' no, it sounds um that sounds really that sounds really fascinating, especially yeah the idea of like I've always found books that talk about family and um like parents, parental expectations, that type of thing that type of stuff has always fascinated me
1: and I think that if this is speaking something that millennials are experiencing is like we are the first generation that is more likely to be less well off than our parents. Like we're not like continuing the cycle of like maintaining wealth or whatever it is. Um, You know, we're not able to buy houses. We're not able to do so many different things. Um, Obviously no one's able to live on a single income as a millennial. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that this is the themes of this book really speak to the millennial generation. And when it came out, you know, a lot of millennials were just, Heading into 30. So I feel like this is something, um, I don't know, it's, it's a very, she observes people very well. She's very perceptive. Um, so definitely check out Shelter um, by Jung Yun.
0: All right, and I realized with my second pick, I was like, "Oh, I could, uh, I I could have used this one to to lead off with to kind of mirror the some of the comedic qualities from from your first pick." But I haven't finished this one yet, so that's why I, I put it at second. But anyway, my second pick is "The Bandit Queens" by Perini Shroff, and this was um, this is a debut novel that came out like right at the beginning of this year, and the main character is gita and she um five years ago her husband disappeared everyone in her village—this takes place in india everyone in her village thinks that she killed him she didn't but she hasn't really done a whole lot to dissuade everyone from that opinion um a big part of it is because she's like people are going to gossip. It's not going to make a difference, but also because she's kind of like, you know what? I kind of like being left alone. And people are like afraid of her. They think that she, yeah, that she poisoned him and that she's, and that she has like, that she's a witch or something similar and that she's going to uh, bring bad luck upon anyone who crosses her. So there, so people are like, you know, that like they, they buy from her small jewelry business because they're afraid if she, if they don't, that she's going to curse them and stuff. So She's cut, so yes. Yeah, so she's like, "eh, we'll just let him think I did." Unfortunately, um, what at the beginning of the book, someone in her acquaintances circle—they're not friends—but someone in her acquaintances circle um, comes to her and says, "My, can you kill my husband like you killed your husband?" And Gita's like, "Um, uh, <laughs> what?" this other woman's husband and there is um there's description of abuse towards women it's not well at least in the first half of the book that i've read it's not it's all off page um it isn't described in the moment um but she's but yeah so she's like well you killed your husband can you help me kill mine he's you know he's abusing me he's abusing my children and gita's like like well she's she's like oh i didn't kill him or you know i didn't kill my my husband but she's like i don't you know like she hasn't been making you know a big proclamation that she didn't kill her husband and so she's like you know and she knows that this woman is being abused and she's like you know if if he's going after her children this woman's children she's just like is this the morally right thing to do So she embarks on a quest to help her, to help this woman murder her husband. And then other people in the village start to find out and start asking, or not find out, like, not everyone, it's not like everyone in the village knows that, but people in their acquaintances circle is like, are like, hey, can you help me murder my husband? And it kind of spirals from there. Um, and, uh, so, like I said, I have not finished the book. I have, however, read half of it in basically a single sitting starting this afternoon. I cannot describe how much I love this book. (laughs) It is, like, it, it, it's deep, it's nuanced, it's funny, it's charming, it's, Dark. It's like all of these things wrapped into this very intriguing story. Um, and the title of the book, The Bandit Queen, comes from this woman. I can't remember if she's from their village or just like this woman that kind of exists almost like in their mythology, except she was born a few decades previously and was subjected to um, torture and sexual assault. And she got revenge on the men who subjected her to it. She just came in and wiped them all out. And she kind of like established a name and a reputation for herself. And so Gita is kind of using her as like a like an inspiration, a role model. Um, so that and so she's known. That woman is known as the Bandit Queen. Um, and then Gita also ends up uh, taking in this uh, this sick and abused dog who becomes a very loving dog and she names him bandit and it's adorable. Um, but there again, there's so much going on here and so yes, there are crimes. there, there are these women that are plotting um, that are plotting multiple murders. Um, and you know there are the very real crimes against women that are not taken you know, that in in their, you know, in their country, in their culture, are not taken seriously, you know, it's part of the, well, you know, that's part of running a, you know, that's part of, you know, having a family or being married. Um, And, uh, and, Gita, her husband who disappeared, he also was abusive towards her, so she has that so she has that past as well. Um, but the focus of the story is really on the characters and their relationships with each other, uh, Gita's relationship with the other people in the village. Um, and it is a very character driven story. Um, but there's a lot of heart, there's a lot of dark humor, um, it's it's just so entertaining. And yeah, I got like about to the halfway point. And I like this evening as, you know, I was like finishing dinner. I'm like, okay, I have to update the show notes document for the show, but I really want to keep reading this book. <laughs> so like, I had some difficult choices to make. Of course, I did the show notes because those need to be updated. <laughs> but it was, it's so good. And like, yeah, this is another one that I'm, I'm just like, Again, even though I'm only like half halfway through, I am just falling over myself about how much I am enjoying this story.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's um yeah, it's any yeah, if you like relationship-driven fiction, if you like yeah, um it's yeah, or if you like darkly humorous type of stories, this one is so up your alley, like it's just not even funny. <laughs> and again that is the bandit queens by parini schroff
1: well that we did it look at us we did it (laughs) we've got some
0: great books here
1: definitely definitely well we still have a couple new releases to talk about um so many books coming out we're heading into fall we're getting so close i'm so excited (laughs) uh do you want me to start with my new release that i'm so excited about Yes, please do. All right. So I wanted to pick something for Women in Translation Month, which is just around the corner. Women in Translation Month um, has been going on for almost a decade now, and it is focusing on women and translation. Since so few books are translated from other languages into English, um, there's even a smaller percentage of women. So this is supposed to highlight women in translation, which I believe was one of my first episodes here on Writer Dead last year. We did Women in Translation, that was
0: cool. Yep, that would have been when I was on vacation, (laughs) right after my air conditioner broke. We're full circle here. We we
1: really are. Uh, So my pick is Urgent Matters by Paula Rodriguez, and this is translated from Spanish by Sarah Moses, and this is set in Argentina. So there is a train crash in the suburbs of Buenos Aires, and there are 43 people who died and two of them have not been identified. At the same time, there's a guy who's on the run for murder, and he is on this train, and so he is trying to use this train wreck to his benefit. So now we have a detective, uh, Detective uh, Dominguez, who is trying to find this criminal on the run, and just a lot of stuff is going on. This is out from Pushkin Vertigo, so very excited to, to uh for this book because i mean it sounds amazing right like a high stakes almost like a, a movie quality kind of plot
0: oh very much so very much so um yeah no uh one 100 percent
1: yeah so very excited about that one uh what's your pick for a new book release
0: well this one i get to- Unintentionally, I guess, keeping up with the whole literary suspense thing, I picked this one because um, it is—it's described as a um, as a read for uh, fans of Donna Tart and Tana French. Also, I was considering reading *The Secret History* by Donna Tart for this episode, but I didn't because I knew I wouldn't be able to finish it because that book is going to require lots of you know savoring. Anyway. <laughs> My book um, is called *Kala* by Colin Walsh. Um, it's out uh, this week, July twenty-fifth. So by the time you are listening to this, is, uh, this will be out in bookstores. Um, it's a. Um, it takes place in Ireland on the west coast, and you have these three friends who were part of an inseparable group as teenagers in the summer of two thousand and three. And so, there's Helen, Joe mush and kala kala was kind of like at the center of their friend group and during at the, at the tail end of the summer in the summer of 2003 kala disappeared without a trace so now it's 15 years later and helen is back in ireland for her father's wedding joe is back in town as a world-famous musician Mush never left town. Um, he has just been working at his mother's cafe. And while they're there, uh, human remains have been discovered in the woods and two more girls have gone missing. And the and I think if you've read Tana French before, you are probably <laughs> seeing lots of shades of Tana French here. Like even before I saw that description, I was just kind of reading the synopsis and I'm like, this is Tana French, holy cow. <laughs> um, so it's past and present colliding the group of estranged friends kind of coming together again and forcing to confront their own past and their own complicity in the events that led to Kala's disappearance. So yeah, this one was added to my list immediately. And I actually, I've got a couple of friends I need to text about this (laughs) um, who are part of our Tana French group. Um, But yeah, the book is Kala by Colin Walsh.
1: Well, those are some great picks. And as always, they will all be linked in the show notes. Well, I guess that's our show. So thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thanks so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink. She always makes us sound wonderful. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. And for more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com and don't forget to check out all of our podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or you can head over to your podcatcher and search Book Riot. If you would like to send us an email with feedback, show suggestions, or anything, talk to me about the you know, subvers- subversive gardening folks, anything, you can reach us at, Red or Dead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me, Kendra, on Twitter. Or we're just going to keep calling it Twitter for now. On Twitter and- It's in-
0: Twitter. It's Twitter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at KD, as in Dylan Winchester. And you find Katie on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye.
0: Bye.